Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. I am Rick Thomas, and I work at Life Over Coffee. That is our coffee shop, lifeovercoffee.com. It is a sanctification warehouse where you can go in and benefit from so many resources that are free to you, where you can have conversations for transformation. Now, here is a conversation that I want you to strike up with a friend of yours. I want you to go up to them, and I want you to ask them, someone that you attend church with, Ask them this question. Why do you attend our local church? Why do you attend this church? It's one of the most important questions that you can ask any other believer. I mean, outside of the family unit, where you have been reared, where you live most of your life inside the family, the local church is the primary context where sanctification happens among Christians, making how we think about and how we participate in our local churches absolutely crucial. Now, assuming that you are part of a local church, let me ask you that question. Why do you attend? Now, perhaps you are part of the de-church movement. Have you heard of it? Those who used to attend a local church, but they're no longer attending. Well, maybe the question could be similar. Why have you stopped attending a local church? And so you can ask the question from the positive or the negative. Why do you attend your local church? Or, why have you stopped attending a local church? These are questions that we need to wrestle with because, as stated, the local church outside of the family, the place where you live and do life primarily, outside of the family, the local church is the primary context for sanctification to take place. And so I want to talk about that for a few moments. Now, if you want to read a transcript of what I'm sharing with you, then go to lifeovercoffee.com and you're looking for the question, why do you attend your church? And you can read, watch, or listen what I'm about to share with you. Now, I'm going to get into it in just a moment, but I just received this email from Keith. Keith is moving to our area here in South Carolina, and he was asking me for a local church, a recommendation for a local church. But he said that, you know, I used to listen to your podcast before you stopped producing them, and I really appreciated your uh, content because it has helped me in my Christian walk. And I was thinking, when I stopped producing them, I have not stopped producing them since I started in 2015. I have been producing podcasts for eight years running now. But I think I know what Keith was saying. A number of years ago, we used to have our podcast. It was titled Your Daily Drive. And of course, when we began our rebranding process of lifeovercoffee.com, well, we began to move things around. And so we shut down Your Daily Drive, that podcast. There are some old podcasts out there, many years old now. But we stopped making your Daily Drive podcast, and we shifted over to Life Over Coffee. Well, Keith did not get the word, and so I am assuming that there are many other people in addition to Keith. And so if you know Keith, if you would tell him, 
Hey, Keith, uh, just Google Life Over Coffee or go to our website at lifeovercoffee.com and look at any article and you'll see a podcast. If it says Life Over Coffee, it'll take you out to SoundCloud, for example, and you can subscribe to our SoundCloud platform. Spotify, Podbean, just type in Life Over Coffee podcast and and you'll be back on board with us because I haven't stopped producing podcasts. We just shifted from Your Daily Drive to Life Over Coffee because we have been in a rebranding phase that actually started about seven years ago. But now we have officially rebranded in October of 2022. And so everything's Life Over Coffee now. And so I want you to to subscribe to our podcast on whichever podcast platform that you listen to or just go to our website. But I thought that was an interesting statement by Keith. When you stop producing podcasts, I'm like, wait a minute, I've never stopped producing. All right. So the question is, why have you stopped attending your local church? Now, I want to share with you a story, and this is really going to communicate my passion for why I do what I do. Uh, It's also going to communicate why I believe that the local church is the primary context for sanctification outside of the family and why it is absolutely essential that we are engaging our local churches appropriately, biblically, and we are participating because we need each other in our ongoing sanctification. In 1988, my then-wife committed adultery, and she left our nine-year marriage. I have written about this. You can uh, actually read my book, uh, Suffering Well, How to Steward God's Most Feared Blessing. You can find it on Amazon, and that's an autobiographical layout of this season in my life. But it began in 1988 when she left our, our marriage. She subsequently divorced me in 1991. During the first year of this separation from 88 to 89, nobody, not a single person from my church, contacted me or came alongside me to assist me in any way. In one day, I lost my wife and our two children. It was an irreparable breach in our family. And after the first year of solitude, I I went to my assistant pastor of this 1,200-member church, and I asked him why no one in any leadership capacity had come alongside me, inquired about me, or tried to help me through the most challenging time of my life. My separation and subsequent divorce uh, two years later It was well-known in our local church because I was well-known. I was a Bible college student, and the college, the Bible college, was a part of the local church. This was not something that uh, no one knew about. Virtually everybody knew uh, what was happening in in my life and in our family. The assistant pastor responded to me by saying, "'You did not break your leg.'" Now, that was an awkward statement, but I want want you to hear this. I actually appreciated his words. I appreciated his response in a sense, in this sense, because he was being honest. He was being transparent. He wasn't trying to juke me or to get out of it. He was not trying to rationalize what was reality. 
But he explained that if I had broken my leg, the church would know what to do because they knew how to send flowers. They, they know how to prepare meals. They know how to give money. They know how to visit hospitals. But they did not know what to do with someone like me. And then after a moment of reflection, I impulsively responded, please let me know if you encounter someone in a similar situation because I know what to do. Now, of course, my response to him was, it was more arrogant than, than honest. The truth was, is that I didn't have a clue what to do. I was not unlike him. He could not help me. The church could not help me. I could not help me let alone help anyone else. And so I was no different from my church, the church that I was hoping that would help me. Now, please understand when I share this story, I don't want you to take an offense. Now, perhaps, well, I know there are many of you that are listening to the podcast, or, and I hope Keith is one of those listening to the podcast now. Please let Keith know. Or watching the video that I, I'm not frustrated. I don't want you to be frustrated. I don't want you to take up an offense because many of you have been hurt by local churches. And that's not the point that I'm trying to communicate here. And that's not an offense that I want to stir up inside of you. I'm just sharing you this story, but it's not a bad story. No stories are bad unless we just live in the badness of them and don't progress any further. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Every narrative can be flipped. Every horrible, adverse narrative can be flipped, as Joseph is teaching us, because God is there, and God is working in our lives. And so if we stew in our victimness, if we wallow in our frustration, that's on us, as though suffering is not supposed to happen, as though disappointments aren't supposed to come into our lives. No, we live in a suffering world. Thorns and thistles will be with us all the days of our lives. It is expected. A normal life is a suffering one. But we, as Christians, have, we have an option. We are overcomers because he who is in us is greater than anything that is happening to us. So I have not shared this story with you because I'm angry. I don't believe that you can detect any anger in my vo voice nor regret because I'm not mad and I'm not regretful. I've not shared this story with you because I'm bitter. I I've not I didn't tell you this because I have an axe to grind against that church or any church. I don't. I've not shared this story to mentally manipulate you, to gaslight you. I'm sharing this story with you because you need to know my worldview regarding the local church. You need to understand my soul care presuppositions, the lens through which I look at the world particularly, specifically, look at Christians, because I cannot detach myself from my worldview or my presuppositions any more than I can stop being a Christian. And so this story that I'm sharing with you is a major shaping influence. It has created, in part, a presuppositional window through which I look through, and it has created a burden to want to help people who are walking in similar paths. I did not know back then that I would spend my entire adult life 
doing biblical counseling, but this is a part of God's programming me. This is a part of the narrative that he was scripting in my life, and with all scripts, there are a, there is a story arc, and part of that story arc, well, there is always disappointment, failure, frustration, and hurt. And so I spent the next 12 years learning how to do soul care, mainly on me, because I was just like my pastor, my assistant pastor. I was just like my local church. I could not disciple myself out of a paper bag. What I did not know at that time was that God was writing a grander script to create a long-form narrative for how I would spend the rest of my life. I would succinctly say it this way. My passion for sharing the life-changing message of the gospel was born out of a broken heart, restored by God, and redeemed for his fame. My pastor and the other leaders of our large church, 1,200 members about at that time, they didn't know how to do soul care, just like me. They could not take a broken-down Christian and walk him through the transformational steps to be whole again. They could not provide the transformational context, places where I could go and receive body-to-body ministry for the congregation, where we could reciprocally help each other. It is a miracle that God restored me despite my ignorance despite my inability and despite the inability of our local church. It is the grace of God. And my experience is the point of the question that I asked you in the beginning. Why do you attend your local church? Or the inverted question, why have you stopped attending a local church? And for many people, Some similarity to the story that I've just shared is why you have stopped, which is a call to action for all of us. We can't stop because of the bad things that have happened to us in our local churches. We need our local churches, but our local churches need to be something. They need to be sanctification centers. They need to be that hospital, that place where families can come and to mutually grow reciprocally, spurring one another on to loving good works. My concern is that most believers have insufficient or even selfish reasons for their church attendance, which is part of why church attendance is declining. Let me explain. If you ask them the question, why they attend I remember in 2001, a well-known Christian leader, someone that you all know, virtually every one of you know, we were riding in the car and he asked me, why was I a member of the church that I attended at that time? I said, here it comes, because of the preaching. Why do you attend your local church? Because of the preaching. By the way, if you ask, I would say that 85% of the people that attend that local church attend because of the preaching. And by the way, when uh, the the varsity, uh, when the JV team is preaching, any member on the JV team is preaching on any given Sunday, you could see a noticeable difference uh, in the attendance. He asked me, he said, why do you attend this local church? And I said, because of the preaching. Now, He didn't respond to that answer. 
but I've never forgotten his question. And that question had been rolling around in my brain for a, a very long time. And if you ask anyone in the large church that I attended in 1988 when my wife left, if you ask them why they participated in that church, nearly every one of them would say, number one, because of the preaching. The church was a preaching center. It was not a discipleship community. And those two concepts should not negate each other. They should be equal complementing each other. But unfortunately, in much of Christendom, what we have today are preaching centers, and there's not so much of a discipleship community. In our church back in 1988, it was not, even though it was a famous church within their circle of churches for preaching. At one point, it was the king of the hill when it came to popularity and a popularity that was built upon the personality and the preaching style of the preacher. Today, that church, if you were to visit it, it is a congregational shell held together by a handful of gray-haired loyalists and a few young zealots. Back then, my church was vibrant. We were doing ministry worldwide. But when it came to soul problems and soul care, we could not help each other because we did not know how to help each other. And I am in that number. I was in that number. The truth is, is that the pastor, the senior pastor, he was actually a spiritual abuser with a gift for preaching. That church and that pastor are not abnormal. There are a few others that are like that. I've seen this scenario play out hundreds of times with individuals, couples, and families, people who have come to me over the last multiple decades. Now, I'm not speaking of abuse per se, but I'm talking about insufficient soul care practices within a local church. And nearly all of these hurting souls who have come to me were part of the conservative, evangelical, Bible-believing, believing, doctrinally sound churches. It's similar to a hospital with the best equipment, but the doctors and the staff, they lack the training to help the hurting. So if your first response to my question why do you attend your church? If it is preaching, then I appeal to you to rethink why you attend your local church. You can't build a life. You can't build sanctification on preaching. You can't export sanctification to uh, your spouse, your children, your family, your friends by being part of just a preaching center. Your first reason for participating in that local church has to be better than the answer that I gave when I was asked, why do you attend this local church? It, well, I attend primarily because of the preaching. Now, please understand, preaching is absolutely vital. It is non-negotiable that we have to be sound exegetes and expositors of the Word. We want to be clear and theologically precise as we build and craft our sermons and present them because we need the knowledge of God's Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and we must be sound technicians when it comes to preaching God's Word, but we can go beyond being the best preaching center in town. We must go beyond it. So where would folks place the accent mark 
in your church? Is it more of a preaching center, a discipleship community, something else? I mean, each church has an emphasis, a personality, which creates the appeal or the draw or the why people come to this church. The best spot on the ecclesiastical spectrum to place the accent mark, well, the best spot is the gospel. That's where you want the accent mark placed, on the gospel, not on, I come here because of the preaching or discipleship community or because of our missionary endeavors or because of the children's ministry or because of the music or whatever reasons that could be primary where we want to place the accent mark on all of those good things, it needs to be the gospel. The purpose of Christ coming, Christ is the gospel. In a word, Christ is the good news. And the reason that the gospel came was to transform people, which begins at salvation, and continues through progressive sanctification until every believer experiences glorification in heaven. Being born again does not bring complete sanctification in our lives. Our salvation is a point-in-time, non-repeatable event, like walking into a fitness center for the first time. It gets you in the door, but it does not transform you. Progressive sanctification is our daily working out of our salvation, as Paul taught us in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. The primary context for working out our salvation is our homes, number one, and then, number two, our local churches. Progressive sanctification is weak in many churches. And because some churches don't sufficiently address this problem, some of God's children are unnecessarily struggling. And so please understand, I praise God for fantastic preaching. But you do not have enough if that is all that you have. The last few years have seen good preaching and, and good preachers rise and, and fall. They built their local congregations on one person's personality, and the church fell proportionally when the preacher fell. There's been a lot of cyber talk about why these ministries and why these preachers crumbled. Well, the reason that they crumbled is, is simple. They did not do sanctification well, starting with themselves. They crumbled because there was something wrong with them spiritually. Their sanctification was not what it needed to be. Poor sanctification practices will eventually manifest in a person, then in their marriage, then in their family, and then in their organization, and in this case, in the local church. That is the sequence. Why did they fall? Because they did not have good sanctification practices, and it was hidden from everyone, but eventually it crumbled because it infected them 
It infects their marriage, their family, and then eventually when the fall happens within the congregation, the fall is hard and and the fall is popularized throughout the cyber community and we hear about it. But if you trek back from that church to the family, to the marriage, to the person, you will see that there were poor sanctification practices in that individual pastor. It almost always goes that way which makes assessing the problem of weak sanctification practices in the local church somewhat straightforward. One of the ways that you can discern how well your leadership understands and practices sanctification is by evaluating the condition of the sheep. If the church people are not well cared for in their sanctification... Generally speaking, I am well aware that there are people that are always coming into the church, and so they are new, and they're not part of the church, the local church, as far as in a long-term way. But this core group of people who have been there for multiple years, that group, and if they are not maturing, if they're not experiencing being well cared for in their sanctification, then it points to deficiencies within the leadership to provide that care. This problem may be more serious than you imagine. You see, each church, each local church is a reflection of the leadership, good or bad. And I am not saying that every problem in the church is because of the leadership. Every person who chooses to sin, that is on them, but there can be influences. And if the local church is to provide the context and the care for sanctification to happen, then there is some responsibility on the leadership to provide sanctification care to the sheep so that those who are are coming and participating regularly and have been there for a while, there should be a positive effect in their lives and in their families. But if the leadership cannot provide that kind of sanctification, equipping to that church, then, well, it could be that they do not possess that themselves. You cannot export what you do not possess. I mean, you may be able to impress the masses for a while and draw people in on your personality and your preaching prowess, but ultimately there is a discontinuity between what you are and what you do. Thus, what you are will affect those around you in the long term. You can't keep them just on your preaching unless they're just going to grow in knowledge and they're really not going to mature in their sanctification then you are just exporting what you have, a personality and knowledge and education that you can export through expositional preaching, but it's not having a sanctification effect on the congregation if it doesn't have a sanctification effect on the person who is expositing the message. Suppose a large sample size of the church is not appropriately cared for, that core that has been attending the church for a long time. It could be that the growth happened because of the preaching. It was a great draw. Hey, come hear my preacher. He is an outstanding expositor of the Word. He believes in the sufficiency of Scripture. He works verse by verse, book by book. Well, that's great. But now, what's the plan to care for those that you have drawn in through fantastic preaching? Is there a plan to care for these sheep in their ongoing sanctification? 
Perhaps there needs to be a deeper conversation within the leadership about their personal, marital, and familial practices of sanctification, as well as how they are exporting these practices to the sheep that God has called them to shepherd. This perspective is a similar conversation with parents who bring rebellious children to me for counseling. It is, it is rare for a teen to be so messed up and so confused in 15 little years without the negative shaping influences from the parents. Now, there can be exceptions to this, yes, but they are exceptions only, not the norm. Who we are directly impacts our spheres of influence. And if our churches are not doing well in sanctification, that core group I'm speaking of who have been there for a number of years, then the first thing to address is not more programs or small group initiatives. The wiser move would be to look at the leadership to assess their personal lives, their marriages, their families. I am not suggesting that their families are walking with God and that their families have to be ticking all the boxes. I'm not talking about perfection here at all, because we know that God grants repentance, not the leader. However, you do want to discern a leader's sanctification competence, a leader's sanctification fluency. Again, his children could be rebelling, but does he have a sanctification fluency? Does he know how to be a disciple maker, even though his children might not be responding well to that, but other people will be because he's exporting what he is applying to his life, and there will be a general take on that. There will be a general reception of that, even though his children might not be. So some of the things that you're looking for, it's like, are the pastors vulnerable? Are they transparent? Are they honest? Are they accountable with their lives and their marriages? Are the pastors and wives mutually and reciprocally discipling each other? Are they able to walk each other through their relational problems, husband and wife? There are other reasons the church does not do so care well, and I'm dealing with just a narrow slice of it here but you must not avoid the leadership sanctification responsibilities, his practices, and his fluency. The question is, why do you attend your local church? You can read what I have laid out for you if you go to lifeovercoffee.com and look for that title. You go to your doctor because you believe that your doctor can help you. You go to your mechanic because you trust that he can diagnose and repair your vehicle. You go to your dentist because you have faith that he will be able to preserve your teeth. Are your pastors and their wives, are they authentically pursuing a sanctified life together? If they are not, then they can't export. They cannot export what they do not possess. And so are your pastors and their wives authentically pursuing a sanctified life together? How do you know? Can your pastors walk you through your relational and situational challenges? Who do you call when things go wrong in your life or your relationships? You might be surprised at the number of people that come to lifeovercoffee.com and virtually every, every time they come, the standard question we ask is, have you, 
Have you talked to your pastor about this? How is your pastor giving input on this? There is a reason they come to us, and they are not going to their pastor. And if you just cut half of those reasons out, meaning that's not valid, there's a lot There is still a lot left over that speaks to this deficiency in providing sanctification soul care to the body of Christ in specific local churches. Are you confident your church can provide what you need to mature in your sanctification? By the way, one of the clues that you would have is that if you could share this article with your pastor and have a conversation about it. When your life takes a turn that you did not anticipate and your heart breaks, is your church your sanctification center of choice? If you're not calling on your pastors or the context and the means that they provide, because I'm not saying that a pastor should be there for every single person in that local church who's going through a struggle, but but pastors equip the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. And so not only are they able to do soul care, maybe not to you, but they can provide the context for you to receive that soul care, and they can walk you through your problems. If they are not able or they are not providing those contexts, then you have to reconsider why you attend that local church. And if your number one reason is because of the preaching, then you're in a vulnerable place. I have spoken to many Christians about these matters, and one of the most common responses they share is their church's weakness in doing soul care. And I understand their dilemma. And if it's true for you, then I have four suggestions for you to consider. Number one, make a difference. Do not choose anger or other divisive responses to this problem. If your response is anger, my my church is this, that, or the other, then you're starting at the wrong place. That's making the wrong kind of difference. You want to make a difference, not anger or divisive responses. Don't complain about what your church is not. Begin praying about how you could be part of the solution. So number one, make a difference. When I went to my pastor and the assistant pastor and said, how come you haven't done all this? And, and he said, you didn't break your leg. Well, as I reflected upon that, obviously I was no different from him. And so we, we don't want to condemn our local church or our leadership because they can't help me through my problem when I can't counsel someone through their problem. I mean, I'm a Christian. I have the Bible. I should be able to do the work of discipleship. Go and make disciples. It's not a call just for pastors and leaders. That call is on the entire body of Christ. And so I could not complain about what my pastor said to me because I was in the same boat But what I knew I was supposed to do at that point is I was supposed to make a difference. And so, as I said, I went on a 12-year journey to learn how to counsel myself out of a paper bag because my local church could not help me. But then more than that, began to come alongside local churches and to begin to help them in their sanctification practices. Don't be a grumbler. Don't be a complainer. 
make a difference. And if somebody is complaining or grumbling about these things, just ask them, how do you counsel someone who's been sexually abused? How do you counsel someone whose husband is is an angry man? How do you counsel a, a, a wife who is disrespectful to her husband? How do you counsel parents through uh, rebellious children. These rebellious children, th- these are things that every Christian should be growing in. And so we want to be careful as we uh, think about casting stones. We want to put those down and say, well, you know, I'm similar. And so I want to grow and I want to make a difference. Number two, have a conversation. Talk to a leader in your church. Start humbly and compassionately stirring the pot. And I mean that with all biblical affection. In Hebrews 10.25, it says, Stir one another up to love and good deeds. We want to stir, we want to spur one another on. Biblically irritate one another, stirring the pot with humility and, and compassion. Do not let this conversation die. Draw attention to the problems that you perceive with all humility. And you can do this in non-divisive ways. Think about Ephesians 4.29. Let your conversation build up. Do not let it, let it corrupt. But that doesn't mean that you avoid hard conversations. These are conversations that we need to have with one another. And so have a conversation. Talk to a leader in your church. Start humbly and compassionately. Do not let it die. Draw attention to the problems in non-divisive ways. Number three, train yourself. If you do not know how to walk an adult through an addiction or a wife through the adultery of her husband or a teen through the hurt of an angry dad, then learn how to disciple. This is not uh, a, a opportunity just for leaders. And I think that there's too much of this going on that it's like the haves and have-nots, that they're supposed to do this and I'm not supposed to do this. No, we're all the same. Pastors have not been trained. Most pastors have not been trained to do discipleship. That's not what their training was about. Their training, their MDiv, their Masters in Divinity, it was about learning to uh, homiletics, how to preach, hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible, ST, systematic theology, learning the corpus of, of theology, administration, learning how to administrate the church. When it comes to discipleship, sanctification, that is a whole different ball game. It's tied to theology, obviously, but pastors do not go to school to learn both of those vocations. They learn how to be a pastor, to shepherd, to teach God's Word, to administrate a church, but they do not receive the training that they need because there's not enough time in the program to learn how to do the work of discipleship, formalize biblical counseling, to do sanctification. This is almost assumed, and of course that is a problem, but you can't pack all of that into one course. And so they have to learn this as well. And you have to do similarly. You have to learn your Bible, and then you have to learn how to apply your Bible biblically. 
They must learn it. We must learn it. But we cannot extract ourselves from this problem as though it's not our problem too. And so train yourself. My pastor did not know what to do with me because I did not break my leg. He knew how to administrate a church. He knew how to preach a message. He knew how to do conflict resolution and and keep minimal dust-ups from happening and to work through uh, some relationship issues. But he was not trained because this is an area of training that we all must dedicate our lives to, whether we are a pastor or not. And so I recognize that he's a good pastor. But this is a deficiency, and this is why I'm highlighting it. Sanctification is a deficiency, and this is why I'm highlighting it. Because we have just assumed this is the problem with many evangelical churches. If you just preach, all you have to do is preach as though sanctification is just going to spontaneously break out on the congregation. No, it won't. At best, they will grow in the knowledge of the Bible, and there will be some ripple effect of sanctification that will begin to have moderate transformation in their lives. But when the difficult things come, there's no insight, there's no intuition, there's no diagnosis and analysis and the application in this more detailed area of our sanctification. But these are the problems that we get stuck in. And of course, because we can't work through these problems in our lives, it has a collateral damage effect in many other areas. And so, yes, you can moderately grow in your sanctification through just the preaching of the Word. But customized soul care, it happens in the milieu outside of the preaching center where the body of Christ is spurring one another on to loving good deeds. And they know how to do this masterfully and competently because they have been equipped to do that. That's not what the preaching of the Word does. The preaching of the Word is primarily academic and to grow in knowledge, but it is a misconception to think that the assumption is that I am going to grow in my sanctification prowess because I have grown in knowledge. Knowledge and application are two different silos, and each one of them has to be built up uniquely and with intentionality. Unfortunately, in our local churches, we spend all of our time, most of our time, educating people in God's Word. And we forget about that eunuch sitting up in a chariot in Acts 8 when he has the Bible open and he's reading Isaiah 53 and he doesn't understand God's Word until Philip crawls up in that chariot and says, understand, do you understand what you're reading? No, how can I let somebody guide me? And this is where we need to grow, where we're teaching people how to guide others in the application of God's Word, not assuming that if I just preach it, somehow it's going to help them to untangle the knots in their marriage because it won't. There's a disconnect between what we hear on Sunday morning and what is going on in our homes on Tuesday afternoon. And pastors do not get that training. They do not get that training in their MDF program. At best, they get a tack-on psych class, many times an integrated program that's some kind of mishmash of of the Bible and, and secular psychology, 
but that's not enough to give them what they need. They have to grow in this as you do. And so we do not complain about it. We, we become part of the solution, not grumblers, part of the problem. We seek, number one, to make a difference. Number two, we have a conversation about these things. Number three, we decide, well, I am going to train myself. Now, that's what I did. I trained myself. Uh, my church didn't. They didn't change. And as I said earlier, they are a shell of themselves now. The fallout rate has been immense. But I did not want to be stuck in that place. I had a problem. No one could help me. And so I needed to learn how to counsel myself. And you can do that too, regardless of what your local church does. Point number three, train yourself. And then number four, immediately implement. Do, do not wait until you think you can bring care to another person. Meaning, I'm going to be the best baseball player in the world before I ever pick up a bat. No, you pick up a bat and you swing at that ball sitting on top of a tee and you miss it or you create enough wind to where that ball just falls off at your feet. And then you swing again. And then eventually you get to where you don't need a tee, where you can hit a ball that someone is throwing at you. The woman at the well, she didn't know hardly anything about discipleship. But she went into the town and she told all that she knew in John 4. She didn't wait until she became a Greek scholar till she became proficient in how to care for others because that's not how you become proficient. You become proficient through practice. You swing at that ball on the tee. You, you graduate up to Little League and, and continue to move up through the ranks until you hit your capacity of whatever your capacity is. Every individual is not going to be that, that profound, deep, formalized biblical counselor who can dissect intricate problems and bring practical application to everybody's life, can take on all comers. It doesn't matter who you are or what is happening to you. No, everybody will not make it to the major leagues. But what you want to determine is that what is your capacity and you want to grow up into that capacity so that you are participating in your local church at the fullness of your capacity doing your part, and as each person is working within their capacities, there will be enough people in that local church. The whole body, this core group, not the tack-on people, the attenders, not the flow-through people, but the core group who have been there for years, and they are benefiting from the leadership's direction and benefiting from the leadership's development of them, there will be enough people within that core group where some of them will be able to take on all comers. Other people will be supplemental, and they will be able to do life over coffee at a certain level, but it will be the body of Christ serving the body of Christ, everybody working within their capacities all at different levels. But you can't wait to start this. You have to stand there at the plate and take a swing at that t-ball and trust God that he's going to help you in that moment. The woman at the well went into town, and all she could say, come see a man who told me about all things. 
That's all she could say. Now, I would assume, I realize it's an argument from silence, but I would assume that she grew in her sanctification prowess and she was able to say more. But minimally, you can say, come see a man. You can, you can give them what you got, and then as you do that, there will be an accumulative effect where you will learn and grow and mature, and then you will be able to give them more. At some point, you will hit your capacity, and you will know. Uh, you'll have enough self-awareness to know what your uh, fullest capacities and your limitations are, and you will be able to work within your sphere of influence according to the gifting that God has given you. But the way that you begin that process is by starting immediately, implementing these things into your life. Uh, one of the inhibitions, and it keeps sanctification from happening in a local church, is because people are intimidated, they're fearful, they're insecure. Uh, they, they don't want to step out because... It's a matter of trusting God in the moment. Now, I'm not talking about being sloppy, and, and I'm not talking about just being weird in, in sanctification. But there's an element of trust there to where you have to step out by faith and do what the woman at the well did, begin sharing what you know. And then when you come into those moments where I am not exactly sure what to do with your, you and your situation, but I can get you help. And you are part of the process. And so with humility, you recognize your limitations. But we don't give up on the people within our local body because we I know someone who can help work you through. I'm just not able to do this because I don't have the skill, the knowledge. I don't have the time in grade. But we can get you help. And that would have been nice if someone had come alongside me and said that, man, you know, like, say, my pastor, my assistant pastor. He could have come alongside me and said, man, if you had broken your leg, I would know exactly what to do. But I am unsure what to do with you, but I'm going to get you help. I want to be part of the process. No, instead, uh, minimally, he became part of the bystander effect. The bystander effect is where you see a person with a problem and you just assume that somebody is helping them. That's a miscalculation of the worst kind because everybody else will be doing the same thing, and that's why we call it the bystander effect. And nobody is helping the person who is struggling, assuming that somebody is helping the person. We need to get beyond our Christian propriety and step into the bubble of their space and say, hey, I see that you are struggling. How can I help? I may not be able to walk you through your marriage crisis or your personal issue that you're having, but I'm not going to sit here and just assume that it is happening. I love you too much to, to let that happen. And though I cannot be the person that can walk with you through this process, I can, I can be a connector. I can be a networker. I can make sure that you get the help, and we will find you the help that we need. Uh, my pastor should have done that, but uh, no, everybody just watched and then, of course, I ignorantly told my pastor that if anyone ever came to him with a problem like what I was going through, let me know. Now, I suppose it was a good thought at the time. 
I didn't think I was lying, but as I reflected back on it, obviously I was lying to my pastor because, as I've said, I could not disciple myself out of a paper bag. I was in a fix and had no way of extricating myself from it. I had no clue how to help anyone, especially myself. But my response to him, <laughs> ignorant or arrogant as it was, it set me on a course to learn how to do more than, than just lead someone to Christ. I want to do more than, hey, would you like to be a Christian? That's a great start. But you want to take them and then begin to disciple them, mentor them through all of the intricacies of whatever the contours of their lives are and then all of the things that happen to them along the way. You want to have the ability as a Christian because we have the all-sufficient word to lead them to Christ and then to help them to grow in God's word so they can grow up into mature manhood or womanhood. I did not know how to do that. And so it took many, many years of training and a whole, a whole lot of failing to get to a place to where I'm reasonably comfortable to, to help a person with their problems, and you can do that too. You don't have to be church dependent. I mean, imagine the person that is complaining about their church and they're stuck in a problem. They are church dependent. They are a victim, and they are unwittingly probably, allowing themselves to stay in a place of victimness because it's like the church is not helping me, and so they're not saying this aloud, but the church is not helping me, and so I'm just going to say stay stuck. I'm just going to stay stuck in my mess, whatever my mess is, because the church is not helping me. Think about the victimization of that. There's a lot of people in our culture that actually echoes some kind of, some version of that, where they're blaming other people of what they're not doing rather than accepting personal agency and saying that, well, if all you can do is help me when I break my leg, then I am going to learn how to go beyond helping a person with a broken leg. If your church is not going to change or if your church does not know how to change, you change yourself. What if you become a means of grace to assist your church so that it can not just be a preaching center, but it can also um, be a sanctification center as well? I asked the question, the, the, the question is, uh, why do you attend your church? It is a reflective question. I trust that you will spend some time uh, thinking about it. And then I do want to make a recommendation uh, for those of you who feel stuck uh, and you're going to step into personal agency and you're going to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to be that grumbler in my church. I'm not going to be a victim. And I'm not going to take on a victim mindset and just be divisive and whiny about what's going on in my life and the fact that it's not changing and my church will not help me. That's a complex statement to make and I'd recommend that you not make it but rather go through these four things that I just outlined for you to start this process. Number one, make a difference. Don't be a whiner. Number two, have a conversation and do not let up. Do not let that conversation die. Number three, train yourself. 
And then number four, today, right now, immediately implement. As you uh, come across people, you, you give them what you got, like the woman at the well. You start getting your reps in, telling people what you know about the Bible, and then you commit yourself to a process that I am going to I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to mature in God's Word. So here's two recommendations. Number one, I wrote this book for this purpose. It's called Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook. We've had some tremendous reviews of this book. Uh, churches have used it. Small groups have used it. Men's groups have used it. And a whole bunch of individuals have gone through this, gr- uh, this book. Yesterday, I received an email from the Middle East, I'll just say there, where... A pastor of a church is going through uh, Change Me and is having a, a wrecking effect, and I will put that in a positive sense, uh, on his life uh, as it is drawing out things and highlighting things that need to be addressed. And so one of the things that I would recommend is that you get my book, Change Me. You can get it on Amazon, The Ultimate Life Change Handbook. Just type Change Me, Rick Thomas. That would probably get you there. Uh, on Amazon. Each chapter has questions at the end. Uh, this would be an excellent mentoring book. You could go through it personally, but I, I would recommend that you do it in a, in a mentoring uh, context. And then n- number two, uh, for those of you that have a season of life that you can dedicate two or three years to a course, we have an all-online mastermind program, and you can learn about it at lifeovercoffee.com. And I would encourage you to, uh, if again, if it's a season of life, because there's a time commitment, but it is all online, and so you do not have to go anywhere. And so just go to Life Over Coffee, look for courses, and there's a free introductory course that you can just go through, and it explains the Mastermind program. Now, that's way more meticulous and more detailed, comprehensive as far as all things discipleship, Uh, But I would encourage you to consider it if it's an appropriate season for you. But minimally, you can get Change Me and start working through it with a friend. And then uh, you can begin to be a means of grace in your local church, making a difference, coming alongside your leadership. And again, you can share uh, this article, video, and podcast with them and have that conversation and then get up and do the work and begin changing yourself. Why do you attend your local church? Thank you so much and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.